take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to learn about one of the most famous accounts in the Old Testament. And I'm going to give you a heads up. It's an event that we read about in our Bibles, and we read about it in Bible storybooks, and it's one of the most famous. But you know what? Some of the things that we learn about today weren't very common. So, before we start off, I need you to forget everything you know. Not really, but I want you to think about it as if you don't know what's going to happen. Can you do that for me? And to put yourself in the place of some of these people in history. So let's just begin before we dive in with a word of prayer. Our great God, we give thanks to you today that you are a wonderful God. We give thanks to you that we can come to you in prayer with all of our problems. We give thanks that in you we have salvation and hope. And we give thanks today that we can trust in you. Be with us now as we open your word, as we learn from history. Teach us. And may we be a people who know you more. And a people who would be encouraged and challenged to trust you more. Because you are all-powerful. And so we commit ourselves now to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just finished up last week, 2 Kings chapter 3. So now it's time to go into 2 Kings chapter 4. And somebody asked me a really good question last week. It was William. And William says to me, how is this in order? And he was asking me some questions about how things were going in order. And you know what I told him? I said, it's not in order. A lot of our records in the Hebrew Old Testament are not necessarily in order. We like to do things in order. Dun, 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 one, two, three, right next to each other. And in, in chronological order, we want to see it all laid out. But the Hebrews didn't always think about that. They kind of lumped things according to theme and other ways, but not always chronological. And that's kind of an event today. As we turn our Bibles here to 2 Kings Chapter 4, it's just an abrupt change of focus. And we don't know exactly when it took place. So, actually, I put up on the screen a map, but I don't have a timeline up there this week. And the reason is, is that we don't really know exactly when these events take place. All we really know is that they take place during the ministry of Elisha. All right? But beyond that, we don't know when they happened. There's a king mentioned. We're going to learn about a king. We don't know which king it was. We can narrow it down to about three, maybe four, but we don't know who that king was. And it's a fascinating history that doesn't fit on a particular year or timeline. Another thing we're going to do here is we're going to skip the first few verses of chapter four, the first seven verses, not not that we're going to skip them and never come back to them. We're going to come back to them, 
But we're going to save that little piece of history for another time later when we're going to have a lesson that's going to kind of tie together all the information about a special group of people called the sons of the prophets. Now, the sons of the prophets were men who were following Elijah and then later Elisha in serving the Lord. They were learning how to be prophets and they were helping God's prophets. And so we're going to come back to that later on when we study the, the sons of the prophets all together. But they kind of are important because if we look up here at our screen, the sons of the prophets were in several different cities. They were in Jericho, and they were in Bethel, and they were in Gilgal, and there were some up at Mount Carmel. And so they were scattered all over this map, which is really actually exciting, considering the fact that at one point in Elijah's ministry, he thought he was the only one. And by the end of his ministry and into Elisha's ministry, there are these schools, you might say, or these places of ministry that are scattered all across the land. And Elisha has a ministry of going from place to place to place. Now, how many of you, when you want to go across town, just go out and start walking? Have any of you ever tried it? How many of you ever biked across town? Yeah, I've done that one too. Car broke down and I rode my bike to work. You know, we don't, we, we, we are, distances are no big deal to us because of our cars. We'll, we'll drive long distances and think nothing of it. And so sometimes we see a map like this and we don't exactly know how it all fits together. Well, do you see the red line there? So the red line starts in the bottom part at Abel Mahola. And then it goes on up to the star, which is Shanum, and then goes on up to Mount Carmel. Well, that lower city there, Abel Mehola, that is Elisha's hometown. That's where Elijah found him plowing and working in the field. That's where Elisha is from. And there's no reason to say that he never went back home. For as he crisscrossed the country, I imagine that many times he found himself back in his own hometown. But he also spent a lot of time up at Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel is a special place, isn't it? In fact, actually, uh, Mount Carmel is special to lots of people. Does anybody remember one of the most famous events that took place at Mount Carmel? If you know, raise your hand. I'd like to know if you know, you have an idea of something famous that happened there. Okay, now I'm going to make it so all of you can raise your hands. Or Faith, why don't you tell us all so everybody can raise their hands because they knell now. Elijah called down fire from heaven at Mount Carmel. So now, how many of you guys know something famous that happened at Mount Carmel? Oh, good, yes. Something famous that happened at Mount Carmel is when God brought fire down upon Elijah's offering. Well, that also became a special place where these sons of the prophets assembled. It was a special place Elisha liked to go. Well, you see the line here from his hometown up to Mount Carmel, and you see that town right in the middle. This total trip was around 50 miles. 
now 50 miles. That's not a big deal, is it? If you're going 60 miles an hour, you can do that in less than an hour, right? How many of you can walk 60 miles an hour? No, we don't walk 60 miles an hour. The average distance that people would travel back in that day in a long distance, on a long journey, was about 25 miles, 25 to 30 miles, was about the distance that an average person or a small group of people would travel in one day. And so you couldn't make this trip from Elisha's hometown up to Mount Carmel in one day. You had to stop over somewhere in the middle. And looky here. There's a town almost right in the middle. Shunem. That sound like a good town to stop over in? Well, I'd like to introduce you to some people who live in this town. There is a husband and a wife. And you know what? We don't know their names. All we know is that they're from this town. Right in the middle between this path that Elisha may have traveled on a regular basis. Monthly, I don't know how often. And there's this husband and this wife. And it tells us in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8 that there fell a day when Elisha passed through their town. And here's this husband and wife in this town. And it tells us that there was this woman, and it says that she was a great woman. Now, I looked up that word and tried to study what that word was in Hebrew. And it could have two senses. The first is, is that she was great because she was great in social standing and position and maybe even wealth. I think that's very likely because we find out they have a home. And we find out that they become to be very hospitable people. Now, there's another thing that, or an idea, a concept that it can carry. And that is great in age. I'm not saying Amy's old. But she could have been great in age. Now, what we do know when we read on is that her husband was old. We know that, but we don't know whether or not she was old. Her husband was old, and it's possible that she too was great in position, but also perhaps in age. She may have been an old woman. And as we read this, that would make sense. So there's this day when Elisha has passed to this their town. And, and this woman sees him, and she constrained him, stopped him, held on to him, to eat bread with them. So he's traveling through, and I don't know if they knew each other, but she takes to invite him to stay, to share a meal together. And Elisha does. And it tells us that this happened, so it was, that he often passed by. And that's where he stopped, to eat bread. Now I'm going to read a little bit between the lines. Because the Shunammite woman invited him to stop and eat bread with their family. But he's on his journey. Where did he sleep? Doesn't tell us. But this woman was keen because she knew he not only needed food, 
but he also needed a place to sleep. Do you guys like staying over when you're traveling at, um, on the side of the road? Do you guys just like pull over when it's time to go to bed and just get your blankets out and lay down on the side of the road? You don't do that? Does it sound very safe? It doesn't sound very safe, no. Well, it wasn't safe back then either. And um, she knew that. And so as he often passed by and would share a meal with them, she came up with a plan. And listen, listen to her plan. Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And... Let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. They're going to set up a little room just for the prophet Elisha. And so they do just that. On the wall of their house, they set up a special room. And we're going to just imagine this is the room over here, okay? And, and they did just that. They, they put a bed in that room, and they put a stool in that room, place for him to sit place for him to sleep, and they put a candlestick in that room. So when it got dark, he could see. So they opened, not only just opened their home, they added on to their home so that they could minister to this prophet Elisha. Do you know what this is called? This has a special name. Do you know what that name is? Hospitality. Hospitality. Do you know what hospitality means? It means one who loves strangers. Even to this day, we have something called the hospitality industry. It's turned into an industry. It's so important. That's what hotels are. They're a part of the hospitality industry. And hospitality is that of loving strangers. We're going to talk more about that later on this morning. But that's what these people are. They are hospitable. They love strangers. But you know what? When you're a hospitable person, loving strangers, did you know the strangers don't stay strangers for long? They soon become very, very good friends. Well, Elisha, we find out, has someone who often tags along with them. Right here. Maybe you've heard of him. Y'all heard of Gehazi? Y'all heard of Gehazi? I saw some of you kind of like, I think you know who Gehazi is. But, but let's, let's help him out here. Forget what you know about Gehazi, okay? How many of you have positive inclinations towards Gehazi? Good. Somebody has, somebody has forgotten what they know about Gehazi. Well, he doesn't know, so he's going to give him the benefit of the doubt. See, we don't know anything about Gehazi yet. We're going to learn some things about, I just saw one of my kids over here when I talked about Gehazi. She did this. She doesn't give you a break. Gehazi is special. He gets to be the servant of Elisha. That's pretty great. And imagine, I wonder, when they came to the prophet's chamber, if, um, if you got to sleep on the floor. I don't know how it worked out. But Gehazi and Elisha spent a lot of time together. 
Gehazi was there. You could say he was one of the sons of the prophets, and he was a servant. He was a minister to Elisha. And it tells us that it fell on a day that Elisha came thither to this town, and he turned into the chamber, and he lay there. And he says to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. So Gehazi goes and called her. And she went and she stood before him. Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with this, all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? I dwell among my own people. He wants to know, what can I do for you? Did you hear some of his suggestions? Um, can, can, can I speak for you to the king? Oh, Elisha has access. That's a big deal. To the king. Is there anything that you need that the king can help you get? Or to the captain of the host? Now, I don't know why Elisha brought up these things. Do you? It doesn't tell us. I don't know why. The truth is, he didn't know what she needed or what she wanted. So he offered the grandest things he could offer her. And you see what her answer is? I dwell among mine own people. I'm okay. I don't need the king for anything. I certainly don't need the captain of the house for anything. I dwell among my own people. It's okay. Everything is okay. And so that's, that's her answer. And that Elisha, he's, he's not convinced of this. And so when she went away or that conversation finished, he's talking to Gehazi and he, he asks Gehazi, What then is to be done for her? Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. Call her. Did you hear that? He says, what could be done for her? <clears throat> and what was Gehazi's answer? She hath no child, and her husband is old. Do you know what he just said? He said, she is barren. He's implying that she can't have children. Maybe because her husband's old or maybe because she's barren. But the fact remains, she can't have children. Now you tell me, Elisha offered to talk to the king about anything she needed or to talk to the captain of the host about anything she needed. Tell me. Do you think the king can do anything about this problem? Well, it depends what king you're talking about, doesn't it? If you're talking about the king of Judah, no, he can't do anything about this. If you're talking about the king of Israel, whoever he is, he can't do anything either. But there is one who can do something about it. Do you know who? Who? 
Jesus can. God can. God can do something about this. Now, I find it interesting that Elisha just takes this in stride. He's offered, what can I do for you? She says, I'm fine. I'm fine with my own people. I dwell among my own people. And, and now this, this, this idea that she has this problem of no child. And so Elisha says to Gehazi, call her. So Gehazi, he, he goes and he gets her. He called her. And she came and she stood in the door. And listen, listen to what Elisha says to her. About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. Did you hear what Elisha just promised? He promised a woman who had no children, who could not have children, a child. That's a big deal. I've met a few barren people in my life. It's hard. It's really hard as they try and they try to have a child, but no child. Years go by and no child. And now Elisha says to her, about this season, according to the time of life, nine months, thou shalt embrace a son. Wow, he not only got the timing, he predicted the gender. And she responded, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie to thine handmaid. She's saying, don't get my hopes up to be crushed. This is a big deal to her. This is a big deal to God. So do you think that God is going to pull through? Do you think that God is going to do what Elisha has promised? Because guess what? It has nothing to do with Elisha. It has nothing to do with the king or the captain of the host. It has everything to do with God. There's a scripture that tells us in the Psalms that the Lord is the one who causes the barren woman to keep house. What's that mean? It means that um, little children mess up the house. And so she's got to clean it up. But she was barren. So she has children. And then she keeps the house. It's very, very special. Well, it tells us in verse 17, and the woman conceived... And bear a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. Wow! God pulled through. God gave this woman and her husband a son. Isn't that exciting? Now, some of you are sitting out there looking at me like that's what you expected to happen. I mean... 
Imagine, would you walk up to someone whom you knew couldn't have children and perhaps for, for 20 years had tried to have children and never had children? Don't try this. Walk up to him and say, you're going to have a son in nine months. I think everybody around, I wonder what Gehazi and other people must have thought, ooh, Elijah, how insensitive of you. But he wasn't insensitive. He knew who could do it. And God did it. God gave her a son. Well, time goes by. Time goes by, and, and Elisha and this family, they, they become good friends. As Elisha goes back and forth, back and forth between Mount Carmel and visiting all of the sons of the prophets in different places. Well, it tells us that there was a day when um, this Shunammite man went out to his field. And you don't want to wear the hat? Oh, he didn't wear a hat. I didn't even stage this. You're going to want to wear a hat. He goes out with his daddy into the field, into the harvest. This little boy with his daddy. And helping with his father and the reapers. And it tells us that he came and said to his father, What's wrong? His head hurts. My head. My head, he says. My head. I told you you should have worn that hat. No. This was more serious than heat stroke, though. But his dad thought it was just heat stroke. And so he, he called. Carry him to, to his mother. Bag carry him to his mother. Who should do that? Going to carry you to your mother? Oh, oh, you poor thing. He's, his head is hurting. And, but daddy's got to keep doing his work. And so a lad comes and carries him. Carries him to his mother. And it tells us that when he was brought to his mother that he sat on her knees till noon. And then died. She went up and took him she laid him on the bed of the man of God. He wasn't just sick. He was dead. I think our actors might need some helpers. Walter's not playing the part very well. Should we have Walter go sit down, pick somebody else?
You're going to lay down on the bed? James, you're going to come play his part. Can you come play his part? Where's James? William, come here, come here. Come on, William. You come play his part. You be the little boy who's dead. He knows the rest of the story. I can tell. So he's dead. Now, let me ask some questions. Why would Elijah promise a son and then God give a son so that before the son is even grown, he dies? Now, this lady, think about her, her emotions. She's not been able to have a child for years and years and years. She's then promised a child by the man of God. Her hopes get up. Her hopes are fulfilled in having a son. The son grows. And then he falls ill in a day, in a day. And dies by noon. Her hopes in a child are dashed and crushed, aren't they? Do you think such a woman would be tempted to be bitter? What do you think? I think she was. Do you think she would be tempted to be angry with God? To be angry with Elisha? To just be angry with life. I think she has many temptations like that. I, 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 I could imagine that. So what is she going to do? What is she going to do? Well, after she had laid him there on the bed of the man of God, she went out and she called unto her husband, went out to him. I, I'm, I'm picturing here that she actually went out to him. And she says to him, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. Where felt well, go to him today. It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. Shalom, it shall be well. Drive. Here's this issue. Here she is. She's come to her husband. And she's asked for one young man to come with her, with one of the asses, the donkey, that she can run to the man of God and come again. Now, I understand that not always are records complete. And perhaps this record is not complete. But I wonder, did you tell him the little boy's dead? It's not recorded. What is recorded? Did you see? He asked her, why would you go to the man of God? I don't think that she told him the boy was dead. Why would you go to the man of God? He says to her, it's not a noon moon of time to offer a sacrifice, nor is it a Sabbath day. 
a time when people would gather to worship. Why would you go to the man of God? Look at her answer again. She said to him, it shall be well. That's the translation of the Hebrew word shalom. He says to her, why are you going to the man of God? And she doesn't reply in dread or pain or trouble. She responds by saying, it shall be well. It is shalom. It is peace. Wow. She has every reason to be tempted to be bitter, to be angry, to be upset with God and everything around her. Her little boy is dead. But she responds by saying, Shalom. Everything will be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And so he gives her what she asked for. The ass, donkey to ride upon, and a servant. And she's determined to keep going on this journey. She tells the servant who's driving the donkey, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. Go full speed. No slowing down. We have to get to the man of God. Well, where is the man of God? The man of God is up at Mount Carmel. Up over here at Mount Carmel. And what is he doing up there? I'm not sure. Is there a school of the sons of the prophets there? Yes. Is it perhaps a place where he goes to pray, to meditate? Very likely. He's here in Mount Carmel. And on this particular day, the man of God is here. And she's coming up the hill of Mount Carmel. And Elisha sees her. It's actually quite a spectacular sight to be up on Mount Carmel. You can see all of the Jezreel Valley. He may have actually seen her miles away coming, not necessarily known who she was. But then as she actually began to ascend that mountain, he recognized who she was. And, and he says to his servant Gehazi, Gehazi, behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy son, child? So Gehazi, he runs to her, and, and he says to her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? Shalom, it is well. She gives the same answer. See, he comes to her, and he says to her, Is it shalom with you? Is it shalom with your husband? Is it shalom... With your son is all peace, is all well. And what did she say? Shalom, it is well. Is she lying? Depends how you look at it. You might think she's lying, but I don't think she is. I think. As we keep reading, and when we read in the New Testament about this event, this woman is full of faith. She has trust in God. And because she has trust in God, even though her little boy is dead, 
It is well. It is well. It's well with her soul. Shalom, she says. But is it? Well, let's keep reading. It tells us that when she came to the man of God, to the hill, she caught him by the feet. And Gehazi came to thrust her away, but, but the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. Now wait a moment here. Elisha has figured out something. Her soul is vexed within her. Now didn't I just now say that her soul was well? Did she just now say that her soul was well? Just because we can have faith and confidence and trust in God doesn't mean that there's no pain. Doesn't mean that our soul is not vexed. And she comes to him and he sees that she's distraught, she's vexed. And, and she says to him, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? She asks him this question. She didn't ask for a son, he asked her what she would. She said, I'm fine the way I am. When he then did promise her a son, remember what she said? Remember? She says, Nay, my Lord, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie to thine handmaid. And on this day, her son is as if he had never been born. And she's calling to mind herself and reminding the man of God, Elisha, I said, do not deceive me. Don't lie to me. Don't get my hopes up in a child and the hope and the wonder of a child for me to not have one. And then she had one and now she hasn't one. She doesn't say that he's dead. She doesn't even say that he's sick. Did you notice that? She just brings up this matter. Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I ask for a son? And did I say, do not deceive me? This, Elisha got the point. And so, they begin on their way back to this town. But he says to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thy hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So the woman insists that she's going to stay with Elisha, but they all together begin on their way, and Gehazi runs ahead. He passed on before them, and he came in, and he laid the staff upon the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. There was nothing. He wasn't just unconscious. He was dead. There was nothing. So Gehazi, he went again to meet Elisha and told him, saying, The child is not awake. The child is not awake. Of course not. He's dead. And perhaps 
This is the first time Elisha begins to realize how serious the situation is. And so they come. And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. What's Elisha going to do about this? What's Elisha going to do about this? Did he deceive the woman? Did he lie to the woman? Did he just set her up for heartbreak? What's Elisha going to do about this? I see some of you. You're sitting out there and you think you know what's going to happen. Caroline, do you know what's going to happen? You don't? How about you? You know what's going to happen? Do you, it's just going to be a bad day. Of a bad day, right? So Elisha, he, he comes in. And he went into that room. And he shut the door upon them twain. But we're, we're going to keep the door open. And you know what he did? He tried mouth-to-mouth recitation. It's exactly what he tried. These weren't stupid people. He understood. It was a try. He put his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands. He stretched himself upon the child. And you only found out the child was cold. But as he had stretched himself upon the child, the child waxed warm. But he was still dead. It didn't work. Did you know mouth-to-mouth recitation doesn't work when someone's dead? And it doesn't matter how much you heat up the body. All you'll do in heating up a dead body is accelerate the... the, 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 I don't even want to say it. The child is dead. And the mouth-to-mouth recitation did not work. And so he, it says, returned. And he walked in the house to and fro. What was he thinking? What was he doing? What would happen? It doesn't tell us what he was doing other than that he was walking. But I I, I wonder. Because when he first went into that room, I skipped a phrase. Did you catch it? What did he do? He prayed unto the Lord. Can't skip that. You know, I wonder, I imagine that what he's doing right now is praying to the Lord. If he's anything like me, when I talk on the phone or when I'm praying, I like the pace, I like the walk. Whether it's here at the office, around the school, or I'm going to wear a hole in this carpet around here, you know. Praying. I think he's praying. He's pacing. He's at least thinking, what's going on? So he went up again. And, and he stretched himself upon him. I wonder if 
what kind of relationship Elisha had with this boy. They regularly saw each other. I imagine that this child was as precious to him as a niece or a nephew would be. Now he's dead. I don't know if you've ever been in a place when someone has just died and the family members are there nearby. You see them holding the one who's gone. It's hard. It's what I picture going on right now. The child is dead. But as he's there, laying with him, the child sneezed. Seven times he sneezed. Guess what? Dead people don't sneeze. Did you know that? Have you ever been to a viewing and seen a dead person and a dead person starts sneezing? If you do, tell me about it. I want to be there too. Because that doesn't happen. But on this day, this little boy you see came back to life. He sneezed seven times and he opened his eyes. And Elisha, he called for Gehazi. Gehazi, call the Shunammite. And so he called her. And when she was come in to him, take up thy son. And then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. The son was raised from the dead. Wow. Isn't that awesome? This doesn't happen every day. This is amazing. You know what? She wasn't lying when she said, it is well. You know, this may be hard for us to comprehend, but even if the child hadn't raised from the dead, I believe she had faith that it would still have been well with her soul. And why do I keep presuming that she has faith? It never says it anywhere here, or does it? Do you have any ideas why? Why do I keep saying that she had faith? Do you have any ideas? Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. You know what Hebrews chapter 11 is, right? Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. It's a list of many people who had faith. And it tells us in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. She didn't see her son come back to life, yet she believed he could be brought back to life. That's what's implied in her statement to the prophet. And it tells us that there's many people who had faith. And we go down through this list of people. And then we come to verse 32. 
And the writer says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. And, of, and he goes down through a whole long list of people. Not a long list, just a short list. And everybody else. He says, I'd run out of time. I'd run out of space to tell of all of those who had faith in what they did. And what was done for them. And if you look at verse 35, it says women, the climax of this chapter on the faith side, women received their dead raised to life again. There were two women referenced in this period of history. Elijah raised one of them, and Elisha now has raised the second. This, we think of resurrection sometimes as being commonplace in the Bible. The Bible covers lots of history, and this is only the second one. And it was by faith in the context of this passage. The reason she could say is, is well, is because she had faith. And I believe that she understood what was the next part of Hebrews 12. For it goes on to talk of the others. And we don't have time to go on into all of it, but it it speaks of others who didn't have such a wonderful ending. See, we read about these events, we're like, yes, what a wonderful, exciting. But you know, there were lots of other women who had sons that died that never saw them raised. But you know what? They too still had faith. That is an encouragement to me. There's these others who dealt with, with torture and mockings and trials and, and, and all kinds of things. And they never saw it. But yet they still had faith. And so when we look back at this and we're like, wow, I wish I could see a resurrection. It shouldn't discourage us that we don't see resurrections. Because in a way... If we have faith and we have the big picture in mind, there's a great resurrection in the future because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it won't be a resurrection for someone to live and then die again like happened with this little boy. It will be forever and ever. And so we can have hope. We can have hope. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for this history, this account. May we, in whatever we may be facing today or in this week, put our hope and our faith and our trust in you. Knowing that you have the power to do mighty things in this life, if you choose, and if not, in the life to come. May it be a motivation to us to simply trust you. And may we rejoice and revel in glory in the shalom that you give, the peace that you give. We serve you this day. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.